It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mottes. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mottes from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Today's episode of the show... Um, travel schedule kind of got, you know, messy there for a while. I'm actually recording this at 4.15 in the morning here coming into uh, Tuesday, the game day for the Denver Nuggets. And I wanted to kind of go backwards and, and do a deep dive or, or, or share my notes on game four. In an ideal world, this podcast would have come out yesterday. The one that came out yesterday, a great conversation with Matt Moore, would have come out today. But unfortunately, as I mentioned, the travel schedule just kind of got in the way of that. So these are a little bit reversed. But the game was important enough that um, you know I wanted to share the notes from that one and, and some of the takeaways. Give it a rewatch and be able to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of it because there was so much that happened. And because this series has just been such a compelling one from a from a – you know, basketball purist standpoint. This is a pure basketball series. Denver versus Portland. Neither of these teams have a realistic shot at the title. I think a few days ago, Denver um, had the worst of all, of all the eight remaining teams. They had the worst odds at 65 to 1 uh, to win the title this year, which is really, really low for a team, you know, this deep into the playoffs. But um, you know, it's also realistic. Nobody's really expecting Denver to be a real contender. Same goes with Portland. If they are to advance, I think both both teams probably lose in the next round to either Houston or Golden State. But part of that is what makes this series so so interesting. It's just basketball for the sake of basketball. We're not talking about, you know, free agency. We're not talking about any of these other narratives that have nothing to do with the game. We're just enjoying these games in, in a vacuum, almost in the vacuum of um, these two teams pitted against each other, and I think they're really, really close in talent. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's been an offensive series. It's been um, sort of an inspiring one with guys kind of digging deep, playing through injuries, playing through fatigue. Um, so I wanted to get into that and, and, and go all over all of my notes. So let's go. Uh, let's get started because there are a lot of them. Um, Jamal Murray, uh, the, the, the theme 
of this episode is going to be about Jamal Murray. Just a fantastic series for him. Really, since game three of the first round, I think Murray has become, has taken his game to whole new heights that he has not achieved at any point in his career. So him being as young as he is, 22 years old, and playing the best basketball of his career, not, not you know, just best playoff, obviously is his first playoffs, but the actual best, I think this is the best like two and a half week stretch of basketball we've ever seen from Jamal Murray. So the fact that he's doing this at this point um, under this pressure, it, it's just, it's truly inspiring. And, and I think if you're a Nuggets fan, you've always looked at this team and said, okay, Jokic is a superstar. <laughs> Jokic, by the way, he, he has one, the, the real joy of this playoff series has been all of the people that have either been doubters or skeptics or just kind of said, yeah, like Nikola Jokic, but all of those guys, every single one of them has changed their tune. He has been that dominant that everybody now universally agrees he is just this great player. I think the lowest people on him have him as a top 15 player. Um, the, the, the I think almost everybody has him as a top 10 player, especially with what he's done in this playoffs. He might have been, he might be the best performer in the playoffs, the MVP of the playoffs. There's at least a case to be made for that. Um, and, and that's just incredible. But you knew you had Jokic. Um, and I think Nuggets fans and people that watched him closely knew that he was this guy. But who was the second guy? Could Jamal Murray get there? Well, um, at 22 years old, he uh, he has shown more in this playoffs to kind of make you believe he can become that second star. And to be honest with you, he's been that second star for most of the playoffs, like already. Um, that that it sort of elevates, I think, how how you have to evaluate him. But um, he had 13 points in that first quarter. Really came out um, aggressive on fire. I thought he did a great job of not just scoring, but of running the team. He pushed the ball up the court. He did a very good job. So Nuggets coming off of four overtimes. He Jamal Murray himself played 55 games. You thought, okay, this might be a slug it out, slow-paced, walk the ball up the court kind of game. I thought Murray, and maybe this was part of Denver's game plan coming in, um, was everybody's going to be tired. Let's see how tired they are. Murray did a great job of getting the ball across half court in the first couple seconds of the shot clock. Um, even off of makes, he would get the ball run, force force Portland to kind of sprint back and get set on defense. But he wasn't – oftentimes when you do that, you start to force looks and you and you maybe take make bad decisions because you sped yourself up. I thought he did a great job of attacking early but then staying sort of patient in, in that half court. So um, so, so he was just absolutely fantastic right from the get-go. Denver guards, they, one, one thing all of them can do, and this isn't necessarily a Murray thing, it's, it's Gary Harris, it's Torrey Craig, it's all of them. On the defensive glass, they need to do a better job of crashing. Both of these teams, Portland and Denver, great offensive rebounding teams. And what's happening a lot of times is, you know, Jokic is putting a body on Cantor, maybe Millsap on Aminu, and the balls are going to the guards, the the, the wings, Harklesses, and some of these other guys that are, are cutting in and finding second chance opportunities. And it's Denver's guards kind of standing and watching. They got to finish the play. I think if Denver can limit Portland's second chance opportunities, and especially by crashing with, with, with their guards, I think Denver can really open up this game. One of the things I believe about the series is there's a dozen things Denver can do to really tilt this in their advantage. As much as these two teams um, are pretty close and have been close so far, I think you look at it and you think Denver, I think, still is the better team, like clearly the better team. Um, so I think that they have more things that they can do to sort of gain an edge and, and, and play a little bit better. Um, Jokic was a bit sloppy in that first quarter. He had three turnovers, and those turnovers gave the crowd energy. It was a lot of fun being at the arena in Portland for these last two games and just kind of seeing how the fan bases, opposing fan bases, 
um, treat the Nuggets and, and, and sort of view them. You kind of learn a lot from seeing. And they booed Nikola Jokic every time he touched the ball. They booed him really, really loud. They're a great crowd with that. And to me, it was like, oh, man, this is kind of cool. Jokic is all grown up. He now has enemies. <laughs> he has teams that, that sort of hate him so much that – um, you know, they're projecting all of these things onto him, and that's just great. I mean, he's kicking their ass, so it's kind of fun to to be like he's beating them so bad that they're starting to lose their mind. The, the, the fan base is, like, losing their mind and calling him a dirty player and all this stuff. It's actually, to me, I'm like, oh, this is perfect. This is what it is when you're in the playoffs and just beating the heck out of a... We used to do this to, like, Ginobili and um, Kobe Bryant, you know, the guys that, were, that just owned Denver. So now that Denver is kind of, you know, Jokic is kind of dominant in a way that they clearly know they have no answer for it's fun to kind of see them try to change the narrative so it was great um but Jokic's turnovers in that first quarter that was what the Nuggets did a good job of getting off to a big uh, early start I think it was 18 to 12 or 18 to 10 early um Jokic with those turnovers the, the crowd was kind of dead and restless and nervous you get those turnovers and the crowd comes right back to life and gets excited so um he that, that that's sort of the one thing you can look at in that first half from him and say he could have done a better job at um Nuggets needed a bucket, so they get the big lead, then they cough it up, and then they needed a bucket. They call an out-of-timeout play, and they went to Paul Millsap, who was fantastic in that first quarter. Um, and it's not, the nice thing about Paul Millsap, he's not a consistently great offensive player for the Nuggets like he was in Atlanta, um, but it is nice that he's good enough, and you almost forget, he's good enough that you can go to him in a pinch and, and get that kind of production for him. And tonight was one of those games where um, – he had a 21 points, which is really big. I mean, anytime he can score 20 points or more for Denver, that's a huge boost. But they just seem to be timely points. Six of ten shooting, and like I said, the Nuggets felt like they could rely on him in one-on-one situations as sort of a, a counterpunch to their high ball movement play-through Jokic style, um, which is much needed. The, the bench came in and had some mental lapses. I mean, this the story of the series, and one of the areas I think Denver can really improve, that bench has been a complete and total disaster for most of this. And um, in the first quarter, there were some mental lapses. Will Barton fouled Damian Lillard on a three, and not a good I – mean, not that there's any good foul on a three-point shooter, but it was one of those ones – it was an and one, but Barton just barely hits him on the shoulder, um, you know – clearly a foul like you have to call that one but it didn't affect the shot it was just it, it, those are the type of mental lapses you can't have so Denver started off great uh kind of coughed it up a little bit and then when the bench came in you got a little worried because you thought oh no um what can they do to kind of you cough up that lead you go into the the break down four you go into the, the quarter break down four and you think oh god this is the danger time for the Denver Nuggets this is where they kind of they, they tend to fall apart Listeners, I know that hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes instantly to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. As applicants come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, listeners uh, can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn, the smartest way to hire. Be sure to check it out. This is Jake from Locked On. 
Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I think Malik Beasley is the guy, the one guy off the bench I have the most confidence in right now. And that says, I mean, Beasley has been really, uh, I don't want to say good, He's but he's been... He has a bit of a negative. He's knocked down some shots. He's made some hustle plays. Some of those rebounds he's grabbed. And even defensively on ball, when he's focused and engaged, I think he's done a, a nice job. But the rest of the bench guys, and Monte Morris in particular, have really struggled. Um, they did bounce back in that second quarter, though, and it was huge. Going from down four to up four over the first three minutes, what it did, in addition to kind of keeping the game close and getting some momentum, it bought more time for Jokic. I, I tweeted this out during the game. Jokic got more rest in the first 16 minutes of this game than he did in all 68 minutes of the game of game three. And a lot of it had to do with that bench went in and instead of you think about it, Denver's down four, you put a bench in that has been really, really bad throughout the series. And you think, God, if they let a run go, they could be down 10. They could be down 12 before you ever get uh, Nikola Jokic back in. Um, but instead they regained the lead and force, uh, Portland to call a timeout, and I thought if it weren't for that, I don't know that Denver would have won. If it weren't for that one stretch, um, I don't know that it would have that, that worked out. I talked about Malik Beasley, some of the stuff being bad. I, I put something on Twitter, a, a clip of this. This has been his one of his problems all year, staying connected to guys off ball and just not losing focus. You can kind of see Malik Beasley... Uh, it's like he's got ADHD or something out there on the court sometimes, especially on the defensive end. There's this one play in particular. I think it's Zach Collins dribbles into a double team, gets trapped in the sort of the in the dunker spot, and uh, Malik Beasley is guarding CJ McCollum. The at this moment the uh, biggest threat on the court uh, for the Blazers. They like to play either one of Dame or CJ, and then the four bench guys. Well, that's what you have out there. CJ clearly the guy you can't lose, and he kind of just turns around for whatever reason, turns around and watches the trap and just says, oh, what's going on over here? It's a trap. Well, CJ McCollum darts to the corner, gets a wide open three out of it, and it's one of those things where you turn, you have a four-point lead coming out of a timeout, and you turn a trap against one of their weak players who's going to almost certainly either throw the ball away or waste enough time that it's it's going to fracture the play and force them to kind of get into a late shot clock situation. And instead, you give up a wide open corner three, arguably the second most valuable shot besides in the restricted area, the corner three, the second most valuable shot you can get. So you turn a, an enormous advantage into one of giving up one of the, the, the worst shots you can give up. And that's sort of Beasley in a nutshell. Those types of plays are just so killer. And I don't 
Um, other guys do this. Jamal Murray in particular really bad at it. Torrey Craig, I think, surprisingly bad at it. One of the things that makes me a little bit lower on his sort of defensive impact, I think he's he can do a lot of things to, to shut a guy down. But those three guys just have a tendency to lose guys. And that second quarter was defined by losing guys off ball, in, in particular CJ and, and Seth Curry. Um, the, so the bench started to fall apart. Monte Morris is really struggling. Um, as I mentioned, he's, he almost looks like a completely different player. He's not, they're, they're sending out hard hedges on him in the pick and roll, and he's just not doing a very good job of being strong with the ball and, and sort of reading it. I don't know what it is, if it's the fractured minutes or, or whatever it is, but, um, I think a lot of Mason Plumlee struggling, uh, has a lot to do with that, uh, with Monte Morris. It all starts with him. If you can get that pick and roll and turn the corner and you have Mason Plumlee putting pressure on the rim for the lob threat and the offensive rebound threat, you know, you can get something to happen. But Denver just, it's very rare that Plumlee has turned the corner into the lane cleanly and gotten clean looks off of it. He's looked, one of the knocks on him coming in, uh, and one of the reasons he fell so far in the draft was because he's so small. And throughout the regular season, it hasn't been an issue. He's he's played big, and it, it, teams haven't been able to exploit that too much. But in the playoffs, he almost just looks too small. So, um, you know, it's his first playoffs, and this is his first season. And he's gone through up, a little bit of ups and downs throughout the season, but mostly he's been a, a really, really good player. He's playing the worst basketball of his of his career right now, and he's just another example of, if you can get something from him, if he kind of be, if he can be in the film study with this team and figure out a way to kind of get himself going, there's no reason Denver's bench should be as bad as it is. Jokic is per game a plus ten, um, and he's playing a ton of minutes. He's a plus ten. You think about it. If if the bench can just be a, a net neutral, then you you got to think that Denver can open up this game and and start to play from ahead and not just a little bit ahead. But if you can get a seven eight point lead and and hold on to it for a quarter or two. That puts you in position to really take over and, and open the game up. But unfortunately, every time Denver gets a big lead, the bench comes in and blows it. And that's what happened halfway through. As much as Denver's bench came in and, and played well to start the quarter, they coughed it all back up and then some um, halfway through it. And then, of course, Jokic has to check in. He immediately gave a foul when he checked in on purpose. He reached out. Um, Zach Collins beat him on a spin move. And rather than just kind of let him get to the rim and get his two points, Jokic grabs him and he gets his second foul. And I think this is important for a couple reasons. Uh, obviously, Jokic not on the court, Denver will lose. If it, Jokic has to play at least, I would say, 37, 38 minutes. If anything less than that, I think Denver is probably in a – you know they're gonna they're gonna be in a danger spot. So um, him picking up that intentional take foul, he's just got to be smarter about that. Maybe it was fatigue. Maybe he was a little tired. But when it happened, I thought, oh god, no, not not this. Don't 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 be one of those games. Um, Seth Curry got hot. Three threes in a row. Four of six in the corner. Um, or I'm sorry, for in the quarter. And um, this is what turned the game. Part of you, if you want to be an optimist, you can say Seth Curry was a plus 13 in the second quarter. He had 16 points on the game, 16 points in the first half, and Denver still won. I don't think Seth Curry is going to go four for six every single game. In fact, there's probably a good chance he doesn't shoot that well again the rest of the series. And some of this was, you know, Denver, like I mentioned, falling asleep off ball and giving him good looks. But once he got going, he was just hitting contested tough shots. Um and, and that's the reason that Denver had to sort of just survive the half. Like, once he started going off, you thought, okay, if Denver can just be tied going into the half, it'd be like the biggest win you can imagine. I thought Alfred Camino was really, really good in this game. Um, oh, oh, I mentioned, meant to mention Seth Curry's three-point barrage. He put, that, That's what put them up nine, their biggest lead of the game. And the crowd was just going wild. I mean, three-point shots, especially from role players like that, that's... um. 
that, that's what uh, a hungry crowd eats. Um, so Curry was that plus 13 and going into the half 63-57. Denver had cut it 57-60 to and Seth Curry hits a buzzer beater with a hand in his face and you just thought, oh my God, this all momentum has to be in Portland's favor here going into the break. Um, CJ McCollum, second half. Let's go to the second half now, third quarter. Third quarter by far Denver's best. In fact, they only won one quarter. They lost the first, second, and fourth um, narrowly, but they dominated that, that uh, third quarter. And CJ McCollum in particular looks really comfortable attacking Torrey Craig for whatever reason. And Malone, I think, has been smart to sort of be on this early. This is a lot of why Will Barton has played a lot of minutes in the series. It's not that he's been, you know, fantastic. He has had some really big moments and he's hit some big shots. But Torrey Craig is Denver's defensive option. Will Barton is their offensive option, and you could say Malik Beasley is, is their three-point shooting option and, and, and provides some other things. But Will Barton is the guy who um, I think offensively gives you the most punch. But weirdly enough, Torrey Craig guarding CJ just has not been effective. CJ's been phenomenal in this series, and a lot of that has to do with he just doesn't seem bothered by Craig. He seems to know how to get around him. Craig does some things defensively really, really well, and he's really good against certain types of players, but for whatever reason, CJ seems to have him figured out, so Malone has gone with Barton a lot. Harris did a good job of getting into the paint in, in this one. He still His three-point shot's still not quite what you know you would hope for it to be uh, or what you can expect. He went 0 for 2 tonight, so I think that makes him 3 of like 16 um, from the three-point line in the series. That's another area, so another point you kind of look at and say, I know Damian Lillard, for Portland, that's the one thing you'd say is Damian Lillard, as much as he's scored, he's had to work for those points. He hasn't had a game where his shot's just going in every time. But you could say the same for Gary Harris, who only three three-pointers in this entire series. He came into the season as Denver's best three-point shooter. So um, and, and a lot of those looks, he's getting really, really clean looks. But he did a good job in that third quarter of turning the corner on that handoff, going to his right hand, and getting into the paint. He's so strong and he's so big. If Denver can find ways to open up that painted area and allow him to get in there. I, I think uh, he'll be able to get some points at the rim and maybe even draw some fouls. Putting a guy like Dame or CJ into foul trouble changes the way they can play offense as well. So that could be really, really big. Um, One thing Harris has done that's been sneaky effective, he's done a great job of picking up Damian Lillard in the backcourt, even on defensive rebounds. So not just a lot of times a it's easy to pressure a guy when the ball goes through the net. They have to take it out of bounds, and then you can kind of go find him. And But Gary Harris, I, maybe I should try to splice some clips together. These are tough clips to get because they're not on um, some of the normal sites. I'd have to actually like record them from the game, so it's a little bit tougher. But um, he's done a really good job of, even after defensive rebounds, he sort of finds Lillard, sprints to him, and forces somebody else to bring the ball up. And that's just a really – you could tell it's a – a point of emphasis for him. And I think one of the reasons Lillard has, has been a little bit slowed. Lillard is so good at sort of jogging the ball up the court and then turning, you know, playing at different speeds, running into the screen, rubbing, running into those double drags. Um, he's really good at that. So what Gary Harris is doing is he's picking him up full court and sort of taking away the opportunity for him to get into those double drag screens. And it's not something that shows up in the box score, but it's a, it's a real, a real difference maker. Paul Millsap hitting threes is is huge. Anytime he can knock down his three-point shot, it it changes. Teams aren't going to guard him out there. So anytime he can knock down those open ones, that's found money for Denver. He had nine points in the quarter. The game, the entire game came down to this one stretch in the third quarter in which Portland went really cold. And again, credit Denver's defense. They did some nice things defensively. 
I thought, as has been the case for Jokic for most of this series, um, he seems to kind of know when it's time to really pick up his defensive effort. And in the third quarter, I thought he was great. Not enough has been made about the fact that Jokic has done a great job of containing the guards in the pick and roll as they turn the corner. The game that's being played between Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and, and Jokic in that pick and roll is... You know, you get a pick and roll either going to the side of the court or going towards the middle of the court, and the goal is to get around Jokic, um, you know, to turn a corner around him. He's got to, like, show. You can't let him, like, you can't let the guards split the, you know, split that show and get get going back the other direction. But at the same time, what they're usually trying to do is sprint all the way around Jokic, make a move side to side, because if they can turn that corner, Jokic is either going to foul or give up a wide open layup, and there's just no angle for the defense to recover. Jokic, I think, has done a great job of cutting that off and just not letting them turn the corner. And this is a thing that, um, you know... In the next round, should Denver advance, they're going to be tested even harder um, in this one regard. But so far against Damian Lillard, who's a great, great player, Jokic has done a good job of, of moving his feet. And one of the things he does is he he actually goes up to the level of the screen and makes a little bit of like hip contact. Um, so you would think, oh, he's faster, you got to give him space. But Jokic does a good job of playing close to him because I think just that little bit of contact slows down how how quickly Damian Lillard can turn the corner. Jokic has done a fantastic job of that. In that third quarter, Portland goes cold, 6 of 19 from the field, 1 of 8 from 3. And, you know, Gary Harris, um, Nikola Jokic, the, the guys kind of picking up their intensity, I think had a lot to do with that. Gary Harris picked up his fourth foul on a really, really bad call, and Gary Harris is a key to this team. And I know his his points aren't looking incredible throughout the series, and his shot hasn't been great. He did have 14 in this one on 6 of 14 shooting, so it wasn't the worst shooting night um, for him. But just defensively, he's so important, and when he picked up that foul on a really... He reached in, I thought, in the replay showed he got the ball, they called him for a foul, and you could just see Gary Harris just like, what on earth am I supposed to do? Like, that's a, that's perfect defense, how am I going to get called for that? Um, him getting ready to come out of the game, to me, I was, I looked at that moment, I thought, okay, this could be a turning point, Denver loses their best defender for Damian Lillard, now you got to play some other guys who have been struggling defensively out there um, that could have really changed the game. But Denver ends the quarter up 84-77. They won that quarter 27-14, just absolutely dominant. Holding holding Portland to 14 points, that's how you win in the playoffs. You have to have a quarter like that every now and then, especially in a 116-112 game where both teams are scoring. You have that one stretch where you can really pick up the defense, whether it's the third or fourth quarter, um, and, and you can win a lot of games. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but really the first words you want to say are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And trust me, as someone named Jake, that is a fact. That's the phrase that will help you feel good knowing that you have people who could help you find the right coverage for the things you want to protect. Insurance doesn't need to be complicated with a State Farm agent. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits you because your situation is unique. And State Farm is there to help you feel supported with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. And when you need ways to get help, don't yell or be angry because State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com or their award-winning app. State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Into the fourth quarter, and you thought, would fatigue be a factor? 
Denver just played all those minutes. Maybe both teams played all those minutes, but this is gut check time. Denver's back, you know, back down two to one in the series. They need this one is more or less a must win. Mike Malone alluded to that after the game. He said, you go down one three. We all know how that story ends. I think, you know, it's rare for a coach to sort of admit that kind of thing, but it was true. If you lose this game, you have to win three in a row. That's a tall order. That's a tall task. So the stakes were high, up 84-77, and you wonder, could the team dig deep enough to be able to get this to, to go? In comes the second unit, and, um, <laughs> you know, again, this is, the, this is the tough part. They need the, the second unit. One of the keys to them, when you have a unit that is struggling and – um. And, and you have a starting unit that's been so so good. Pace of play is really, really important because you don't want to go in there and play super fast if you're the worst team. The more the faster you play when you're you know, when the other team is better than you, that's the more possessions you give the better team. So for me, I think Denver, they have some athletes, Plumley, Beasley, Barton, you know, even Craig playing with those with, with that second unit, and then of course Paul Millsap kind of anchoring it with him. Millsap played all twelve minutes, by the way, in the fourth quarter. Um when you have those type of athletes, you want to play fast and try to get out and transition. But the key is, like I talked with with Murray early on, you want to play fast but patient. Um, I think Denver's second unit gets sped up a little bit too much, and that's part of what's so tough. That's part of why there's been these stretches where Jokic has gone to the bench for a minute 30, you know, not that long, and it's been an 8-0-10-0 run. In a minute 30, there shouldn't even be enough possessions for an 8-0-10-0 run. So I think one of the adjustments that that second unit can make is – be aggressive in transition. Try to get to the rim. Try to put pressure on them and make this an athletic up and down game. But know that you're not just shooting for the sake of shooting. You're not just trying to play fast for the sake of playing fast. Pick your spots wisely. And Denver did not do a good job of that. 8-0 run for Portland immediately. Um, and it's just absolutely brutal. So Denver has a 7-point lead going in. They cough up that lead and you just think, oh my God, what the, what, what, you know, here we go again. Now Jokic is going to have to come back in and save the, the, the game once again. In this stretch, by the way, Will Barton took an absolutely abysmal three in transition. And this is the type of stuff I'm talking about. So they're on an 8-0 run. Will Barton gets the ball, dribbles down the court, no passes, and pulls up in transition. No rebounders, you know, slightly contested, not in rhythm. Yo, Barton at the time was not, like, feeling it. It wasn't like he was in rhythm. So those are the type of plays that that possession lasted eight seconds. You're already giving up, uh, you know, you're already giving up a run. Those are the plays you say, you know what, just make them work. Let's let our guys on the bench get their rest. Let's make the defense work. Um, Denver just has to be a lot smarter than that. I don't know... Um, I don't know that Denver ha that, that that's where their mind frame is, but it's where their mind frame needs to be. If I, if I was the coaching staff, that's what I'd be hammering into them is those minutes, especially the minutes to start the second the or the fourth quarter, really be dialed in about what is a good shot and what is not. So Millsap played all twelve. Murray stepping into threes in the pick and roll is so huge. Starters come back in because they had to. Um, Murray, I've talked about this a lot. For as great of a three-point shooter as he is, not a lot of his threes come off of the pick and roll. I think a lot more. One of one of the biggest things to his offensive game that would really open things up is um, his ability to sort of, with the ball in his hands, take that Jokic screen and step right into a three-pointer. You know, the footwork is important, the quickness of the shot, and also just the confidence of it. If you can get that, the reason it's important, if you can knock down that that turn the corner with the ball in your hand, pick and roll, three-point shot, it changes the way the defense guards you, and it's going to open up. I, I talk about how so much of Denver's success on offense is Murray's ability to get the ball to Jokic on the pick and roll in that short roll because whenever Jokic gets the ball in the paint, rolling to the rim, good things happen, whether it's a shot, an assist. I mean, he's just... 
as good as anybody in the league at making plays in that moment. But one reason, one way you can make that easier on you is you force the defense to step out further, and you do that by being a bet a more deadly three-point shooter. Well, in the fourth quarter, he had an example of this. He gets a screen from Jokic going to the right wing. Defender gets caught up on the screen, and, and Murray kind of walks right into a step one-two left foot, right foot, three-point shot and, and knocks it down, force them to call a timeout. To me, Murray, as good as he has been, I see how much better he can be, and that's that's what's part of what's so exciting, and that's part of why I'm so hard on him too. You know, a lot of these criticisms, um, it's not because I'm like, oh, this guy'll never get there, or this or that. It's just because you look at it and you say, man, he's so effective doing this. Imagine if he was just, you know, five ten percent more, not not even better, just more refined. And 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 I think you have to be excited if you're a Nuggets fan because you can see that. Um, Jokic just went one for one in the fourth quarter. That beautiful one-handed rebound and put back that we call water polo shots. Um, you know, so he was just one for one, but he was incredibly effective. Five assists in the quarter, drew some fouls, played some great defense. And this is why Jokic is Jokic. He can have quarters, especially closing games where he has 17 points. He can have quarters where he has five assists. You just never know what you're going to get when you're trying to defend him. And I thought in that fourth quarter, he his decision-making was just on point, as has come to be expected. There was a tech on Zach Collins. First of all, it was a soft tech. I mean, Collins throws his hands in the air. Maybe he said something. Um, and I, I didn't think it necessarily warranted a tech, but boy, was that a huge play, um, and, and sort of killed momentum for, for Portland. Uh, but also man, Zach Collins just seems to do so many boneheaded things. I, I, I liked the guy when he was coming in and, and watching him in the series, there's a few things, he, you know, there's a little bit of upside there, but man, does he just always seem to have a knack for making the wrong foul at the wrong moment, doing the wrong thing, getting a tech at the wrong moment. Um, and that was, if you're Portland, I, I would look at that play and, and put a lot of weight on it because it was a killer. Paul Millsap picked up his fifth foul on a really soft one. I thought the referees have been very good in this series, but I thought um, what I one of the things I like is they've really allowed guys to play. They've allowed this series to be physical without being dirty. Um, and but but it's so it's so bizarre when you see a really soft foul and Millsap his fifth foul. Gary Harrison Millsap like the team can't win without them in clutch time. Those are two guys that are always on the court in clutch time. Murray, it's really only one guy, the small forward position that rotates. But Jokic, Millsap, Murray, Harris, those guys are always going to be on the court down the stretch for the Nuggets as they should be. That's their four best players um, by a pretty wide margin um but it uh but Millsap picks up a fifth foul and you think oh my god they've got like six more minutes to play here and if he fouls out they're in real trouble um so that was a nervous moment Barton hit the biggest shot of the night actually two of the biggest shots of the night almost back to back Portland had cut the lead to one with three minutes to go and they had all the momentum and the crowd was on their feet it was loud every it just felt like oh my gosh here comes the biggest punch and Denver was getting good looks after the game Michael Malone said he felt very confident in that moment just because he knew his team he knew how they responded to these moments and he said he just could see it in their eyes that they had you know they were going to be able to close out this game now I don't know how much I believe that because I sure didn't feel that way but it's kind of nice to know Malone and, and Malone said it with confidence I mean he didn't say it, say it like he was just blowing smoke he you know, I really do think he has a lot of confidence in his young team and in his um, dynamic duo of Murray and Jokic in particular, who have just been so fantastic. Um, but Barton, he hits those two big shots, both of them on that right side of the court for uh, three-point shots. Just huge, huge, huge points without those Denver loses. Um, the final three minutes of this game were some of the best basketball we've seen in the playoffs. Nobody missed. 
it was it, you always like in basketball when it's not you know somebody blew the game but rather somebody won the game i thought this was a game where denver won it portland tried to win it they they knocked down all their shots as well they took advantage of every opportunity they had but just neither team missed down the stretch and denver had the lead going into that that point so um beautiful basketball jokic got hurt and it was one of the scariest moments of the season um, you, you wonder if this game would have gone into overtime, you wonder if Jokic would have cramped up. He said after the game, he doesn't know what happened. His whole left side of his leg just went numb and he couldn't feel anything. And I thought, okay, that sounds really ominous. That doesn't sound like a nothing. That sounds like a something. Um, but he was able to check back in and close out the game. So I don't think, I, I guess it wasn't anything after the game. He said, um, you know, no lingering effects or anything like that. Jamal Murray in the pressure cooker, six for six from the free throw line. That's been well talked about. I know everybody's kind of relived that. Um, Just great uh, sort of confidence and clutch free throws from him. Um, And and it was kind of cool to see him on that stage step to the line with such confidence and deliver. But that was the game. Denver, against all odds, everybody had counted them out after game three. Oh, they played 65, or, you know, they played 68-minute game. They lost. Oh, that's the end. They can't come back from that. Well, sure enough, Denver showed some grit and some toughness. And now you come back home for Game 5, which is going to carry many of the same narratives. Can the bench perform better? Um, you know, Can Jokic and Murray continue to get that pick-and-roll game going and dominate? Can Gary Harris start to knock down his shots? Um, these are all questions that I think Denver, being four-and-a-half-point favorites, you know, there's that margin for error for them that... Um, that, that I don't think we've seen their best yet. We've seen some really good basketball, and we've seen the best from some of their players. But if they can start to hit down, knock down some of those open shots that they've been getting, I think they're going to be able to open up this game and get some momentum uh, to close it out. I love where the series is at. love what, how the Nuggets are playing. love what we're learning about this team, and can't wait to see how it unfolds over the next three games. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. I will be back again tomorrow wrapping up Game 5 with more of a deep dive and detailed notes on that one. Can't wait for it, and we'll see you all then. Thank you for listening to the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.